I'd like for you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. I want to read verses 1 through 10. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. For every high priest, oh, what a message there is in these 10 verses. So uh, fashion your seatbelt and, and, and see if you can really get into this thing. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he's called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Just as he says also in another passage, Thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his personal holiness, his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered and having been made perfect, he became to all of those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. I don't know whether you've ever received one of these envelopes in the mail from the Internal Revenue Service or not, but I've received them. And I'm telling you what, I break out in a cold sweat. And I, I can, you know, my hands are trembling. I can't even hardly open the envelope. If you took my blood pressure, when I get one of these envelopes from the Internal Revenue Service, you, it'll go off the scales. It, it scares me to death when I get one of those things. I'm intimidated by them. I got one one time It said, Sir, you're chosen, you've been chosen for a total, complete, line-by-line line audit of your last return. He said, you need to report, and gave a place and a time, and said, if there's any problem with that, you call a certain number. Well, I called as often as I could, you know, to get an extension. Now, scared to death, I went to the accountant who prepared my income tax, and he said, you know, don't worry about it, we'll visit you in prison. Now, that really encouraged me. <laughs> He said, they have good food there. He said, you don't have anything to worry about. He looked at me and said, you, you know, he thought that would be important. Then he said, seriously, he said, I prepared your farm. And he said, I know it's all right. He said, you just let me go. He said, you don't even have to go unless you want to. But I went with him on the way down there, met him at his office on the way down to the meeting place. He said, now, you refer everything to me. He said, if they ask you a question, you just defer. You just turn to me. He said, I'll answer all the questions. 
I went in this room and I could hear, you know, loud groaning and, you know, pain like... I've been in a labor room one time and I heard less groaning and, and, and crying and I heard in there, these guys were sitting around and everybody was scared to death. And so was I. And so we began this audit and he'd ask a question and my, the accountant who was there, he'd say, now I put that there because of such and such rule, number so and so on page so and so. And he'd check that off. And, He'd come to another question. He'd ask me the question. I just looked at him. And he said, "I made that that choice because," and I was feeling pretty good about that, you know. And I got I relaxed and I just kind of sat back. And this guy took over and he took care of the matter. The Bible says that Jesus is such a one. He is an advocate, a lawyer. He is one who stands in our place. At the great heavenly court, he is our high priest. As a matter of fact, Job calls him an umpire. Do you know that? I want you to turn before we get too far into this to the ninth chapter of the book of Job. The ninth chapter of the book of Job. Now what is happening here in this ninth chapter is this is the last part of a conversation with one of Job's friends by the name of Bildad. Now, in the Jewish theology, in Jewish theology and thought, if a man is suffering, any kind of suffering, it is the result of sin. And so this friend, quote, end quote, comes to Job to find out what was the sin that was causing the suffering of Job. And Job just tells him, he said, well, he said, I know I'm not pure, like God is pure. He said, I've searched my heart and I can't understand why I'm suffering like I do. And Bildad says, in essence, well, if that's the case, all you got to do is present that case to God. And Job says, I can't do that. In theory, that's a good idea. He said, I can't go to court with God. He said, God is not man that I can go to court with him. He said, if he were a man, I could go to court and present my case and I know that I'd get off as a, with not guilty verdict, but I can't take God to court. And then he says in verse 33, look at this. He said, there is no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon us. Oh, if there, in the Amplified Bible, said, oh, if I just had an advocate, an umpire, who could stand between me and God and plead my case for me, somebody who had authority in the heavenly court, who was qualified to present my case before God, oh, if I had somebody like that. G. Campbell Morgan says this, here then was Job crying out for someone who could stand authoritatively between God and himself and so create a way of meeting, a possibility of contact. Oh, if I just had somebody to stand for me before God. So what Job was crying for, what Job was long, longing for, we have. And that's the great announcement of chapter 5. That we have somebody who will plead our case before God in the court. Now, Jesus says to me, if you're following in the outline, Jesus says to me, 
that I'm a member of a very elite body of believers. That I'm a member of a very elite body of believers called believer priests. I am a member of an elite group called believer priest so that I possess a priesthood called the priesthood of believers through my faith in the finished work of Christ. Now I don't know that much about the modern day priesthood and I'm not qualified to speak on that. What I am qualified to speak on is this, that when a person places his faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, he faiths in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. If at that point, he qualifies for the greater priesthood, the priesthood of believers. Now, what does that mean? It means that I can go, I can come directly to God no matter what my religious background as a believer, I can go directly to God. I can present my needs and Jesus represents me to the Father. Now this emerges in chapter 5 with super importance. You may remember that this is a Jewish book and it was written to Jews who understood two things. If they understood anything, they understood the priesthood and the sacrificial system. They knew as much about that as we do call to worships and offerings in a Baptist church. They knew what it meant to talk about priesthood and sacrifices. Now there were three simple qualifications for priests in the Old Testament economy. One was that he had to be from among men to represent man to God and God to man. He had to be from among men. Secondly, he had to offer sacrifices for sins. And thirdly, he had to be God-anointed and not self-appointed. Now what the author of the book of Hebrews is driving at here is that he's going to, to show that Jesus and his priesthood is superior to the priesthood of Aaron. Now Aaron was the first high priest. The priesthood began with Aaron as high priest. So in the succession of priests, high priest, Aaron was first. And he's showing that Jesus is superior to the first high priest who was number one in the succession of priesthood. And there's an example of priesthood in the 28th chapter of the book of Exodus. It was a serious matter to be a priest. I mean, every detail of priesthood was defined in the Old Testament to the, to the extreme of how everything was to be handled at the altar, even to the, to, the, to the clothes that the priest wore. And any deviation, as we noticed this morning, any deviation from that detailed prescription was punishable by death. So to be a priest... And to be qualified for priesthood was a very serious matter. And he's telling us that Jesus qualifies eminently as the high priest of the believer. Now, let's look in the outline at the heavenly priest on the throne. Say three things about it. 
Number one, Jesus was not self-appointed, but was God-anointed. He was the anointed of God. He was the Christ who is God's anointed. Secondly, He was heard because of His piety, the Bible says. I take that to refer to Gethsemane. He was heard because of His piety. God heard Him because of His personal holiness. Now, what, that's, what that means is that when Jesus represents us to the Father, He's going to be heard because of His personal holiness. He has earned a right to be heard in heaven's court. Third thing is that He was made perfect in verse 9. Now, you may say, well, I thought he was perfect. Well, that statement is not made in the context of character. It's made in the context of experience. And what it means is this, that Jesus fulfilled every requirement of priesthood. He was perfected in experience, having experienced everything that man will experience and has fulfilled every requirement for priesthood. Now what about this priesthood of Jesus? He comes to make a contrast and a comparison. The contrast he makes is the contrast of Jesus' priesthood with Aaron's. There are three things about it. Aaron was a Levite, Jesus was the Son of God. Now Aaron was in the priestly line as a Levite. Jesus is the Son of God. Second contrast, Aaron offered many sacrifices, but Jesus offered one sacrifice. It was the sacrifice of his own life, and he's called a priest forever. Aaron gave temporal assistance to man to help him in this sin, but Jesus is eternal salvation and the source of it. Hallelujah for that. Aaron offered many assistances, temporal assistance for man in their sins, but Christ is eternal salvation and the source of it. You're in Jesus, you're saved, you see. And he makes a comparison. He says that the priesthood of Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. Now I want you to just roll up our sleeves and get into this. The seventh chapter of Hebrews in detail talks about this order of Melchizedek. I was talking to uh, Dr. Parkinson this morning. He said that that he's teaching a book of Hebrews in, in, in the Sunday school time. He said, I started that study before you got into yours. And he said, <laughs> he said they waded off into chapter 7 today in, in this matter of Melchizedek, and he was kind of moaning like it was getting tough in there. What about this Melchizedek, this priest? Well, he lived in the days of Abraham, and, and, and he just kind of appears on the scene like a shooting star. And he just fades out in the same way. But when the author of the book of Hebrews comes, 
to the matter of priesthood, he knows about Melchizedek. So to the Jew, this was a, was a, was a recognizable character and an important character in Jewish theology. This man who just appeared on the scene and disappeared, Melchizedek was his name. Now there are three things about Melchizedek that are important to know as it relates to the priesthood of Jesus. First, he was both king and priest. Now watch this. The book of Genesis says that Melchizedek was the king of Salem, but he was a person to whom Abraham gave tithes and sacrifices. So he was both king and priest. Jesus is both king and priest. Now watch carefully. He is a priestly king and he is a kingly priest. As a priest, he can sympathize. As a king, he can provide and sustain. As a priest, he feels for our need, sympathizes, and understands. As a king, he has authority over all of life. He is both king and priest. This one is, who stands for us before God is king of kings and lord of lords. Secondly, Melchizedek appears all alone with a unique ministry. He just is there, this strange man, all alone with a unique ministry. The Bible says that Jesus came upon the scene suddenly and he came like a shoot, a, a, a root off of the, like a sprout off of the root of Jesse, off of the root of David. And he was this lonely man who had not where to lay his head. In fact, Isaiah said he was not comely. As a matter of fact, we hid our faces from him. And his ministry was unique in that he came as the Lamb of God to take away sin. Third, as far as Melchizedek is concerned, there is no mention of a successor. There's no mention of sons or daughters or anyone within his family. As a matter of fact, it says that he was born without mother or father. What it means is that he does not have, you can't trace the lineage of Melchizedek because there are no successors to him in the line of priesthood. So there are no successors to Jesus. Now there have been a lot of little Christ that have come along the scene. There's some alive today who claim that they're the new Messiah, the new Christ, the new uh, Savior, but there are no successors to Jesus. He is the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. There, there are none who follow him. Our mediator then is in the order of Melchizedek without successor, lonely, unique ministry, king and priest. We have found in him this umpire, this advocate that Job cries, before the throne my surety stands, my name is written in his hands. 
Now, there's a passage of Scripture that you are aware of that's strangely familiar to this, and I want you to turn to it. It's 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. This verse reads like this, this passage. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate. Same word, umpire. We have one to stand before God. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation, the covering for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. What a glorious verse. Now, when you put this in and you try to mix it in and weave it in to the thought of the, of the passage in Hebrews, it blends marvelously. He says that we have a heavenly lawyer in the court. Um, so that let's just suppose the devil comes in the courtroom. Imagine that you're, we're in this heavenly court. And you're on trial. You're being judged. And the devil comes in the courtroom with all the charges against you. He steps up with all the charges against you. And Jesus said, let, let me see those charges. And the devil presents the charges against you. And your lawyer says, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. That's exactly what he does. He takes care of all the charges laid against us. Now what makes him such a fantastic lawyer, such a fantastic advocate? Well, there are three things. First, because of his relationship with the judge. How about this? Your lawyer is the son of the judge. I mean, you think you don't have an advantage? I get to the court. My attorney is the judge's son. I mean, can you, can you get a better lawyer than that? Secondly, he's the great lawyer, he's the great advocate because of his record with the court. The scripture says that our advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, now put that in the context and what it means is this, that he has never failed in representing anyone in the court. He has a flawless record so that my attorney, when he appears in the courtroom to plead my case, he pleads with this kind of history that he has never lost a case and he's never made a mistake. Pretty good lawyer, wouldn't you say? Third is because of his redemptive work. He is, he, he is our covering. Now, 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 now watch this. He's a strange kind of attorney. He doesn't present my innocence. He presents my guilt. And he comes to the Father and he, and he doesn't say, Now, Father, 
this person is innocent. You know, he, he, you know, he was sincere. He made some mistakes, but he, he didn't really mean it. He's been sincere and he's lived for you. That kind of, doesn't do that at all. When he stands before God, he pleads my innocence. He, he confesses my guilt, but he pleads his blood. He pleads his blood. So he says to the Father, on the basis of the covering of my blood upon him, I, I declare that he's free, that he's innocent. For when I stand before God, when in my relationship with God, the, 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 the guiltlessness of my life is because of his covering, his blood. He pleads his blood. He said, Father, see these nails, they count for him. See this side, they count for him. See these wounds, see this blood, they count for him. Oh, what, a, what an advocate. Now, there are three applications. You can get this and we're through. I need an accurate umpire. I need an accurate advocate one that's not prejudiced, one that's accurate and, and correct. I have him in Christ. Secondly, my security rests upon him. And this is what Paul meant when he said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded, convinced that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. My advocate and yours as a believer is no less than Jesus, God's Son. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the thrilling message of your word and the announcement that we have the daysman, the advocate, the mediator that can lay his hand upon God and upon us, a place of meeting, a place of contact, a way to God. And I thank you that even now in the heavenly courts, he intercedes on our behalf and claims his blood for our sin. Thank you for the great and glorious Savior whose name I pray, Jesus Christ. There are three invitations tonight. I'd like to appeal unto you on behalf of the Lord. The first invitation is an invitation to come and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Coming to live in you is an advocate a heavenly lawyer who will plead your case before the Father. An umpire when he says he's safe, you're safe forever. The second invitation is for you to come tonight and join our church. We'd love for you to place your life with us if you're here in our community just for a year even. Or maybe tonight rededicate yourself to God and walk closer with Him.
These are invitations. We'll not wait long, so if you're coming, you'll need to come right away. Come as we stand to sing.